You're listening to Think, Think, Thought, a podcast about building thinking classrooms and teaching math. Hi, everyone. Kyle here with Megan. Hey, guys. I'm really excited to have you back for another episode as we dive further into building thinking classrooms in K-12 mathematics. It's our summer break, but we're still continuing with these conversations about the book. Megan, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what this chapter, chapter 10, is all about? Yeah, for sure. So essentially, consolidation happens in lots of different forms in traditional and non-traditional classrooms. And typically, this will happen after like the practice questions that we've given students. And essentially, the way that the book lays it out is that maybe the the general structure of how we've been doing consolidation in our traditional classrooms isn't really benefiting all of our students and by and large the students are are not getting what they need to out of consolidation yeah and peter talks about that typical example and it's not much different than how my classroom used to look prior to me knowing about thinking classroom i would do an example show my kids what i wanted them to do give them some time to work on it peter says that typically is four minutes and 22 seconds that's the average he must have found in his research. And then we go through that answer because we want everyone to come up to that level. We want them to know what we just worked on. We want to get them there. So we show them how to do it. Yeah. Peter calls this leveling to the top because like you said, we want everybody to come up to like the final place where we want everybody to finish. And I think maybe a long, long time ago, before we knew about how diverse our classrooms are and we just have more of uh, an understanding, maybe leveling to the top of where we wanted everybody to end up made sense. But I think now we we recognize that it's just too big of a cognitive like leap for them to make because maybe they are still further back. And honestly, and I think he says if telling students how to do the math made students like learn, then we wouldn't have the problems we needed today with math. Yeah, if this works we would be in great shape. Yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't seem to actually work, right? And it might work if you have every student in your classroom at the exact same level, the exact same way of thinking, but I haven't seen that classroom. So if this whole idea of leveling to the top doesn't work, is there such a thing as leveling to the bottom? And what is that? Well, yeah. And essentially leveling to the bottom when you do consolidation is what Peter suggests, right? So, so students have been working on this great task for 45 minutes, like let's say 50 minutes, and you bring them back to the first initial part of the task, like that foundational learning. Yeah, we really we take that time and we really go through that early, early solution where everyone started. Let's get everyone back to the same spot. Let's start there. Let's start to work our way up together. So instead of having all of our students try to meet us where we're already at, where we want them to get to magically. We instead go back to the very beginning and walk them, you know, maybe up the staircase, however we want to make this analogy, walk with them together through all the little different steps that we need to, to eventually get to that top level of, of understanding that we want to pull out of a lesson. And he talks about that this can take three different forms, right? He says that sometimes that this might be just you as the teacher standing in the middle of the room, just talking about the different tasks, the solutions, you're not writing anything down. I mean, this seems to work really well when we're talking about big ideas, but he also gives you a different iteration of the same thing, but you are writing stuff down. And this is really good when you need to maybe have some details visible to students, or maybe you want to record things so students can re reference back to it. Really good. And then the last one, which is probably the most dominant in our thinking classroom mindset, is this idea of doing this exact same thing, except you're going to use solutions from the students' work that they've already done to work through 
all the pieces that we want to pull out of a lesson. So this is really good for maintaining engagement. But what does it actually look like in a classroom making? When you when you consolidate like this, what does your classroom look? Like? Yeah. So usually I will spend forty five minutes or so working on boards, or sometimes less, depending on how much class time I have. And then I bring them all to the middle, and then I'm like, "Hey, like, how was that?" And we have like a two minute conversation about the task. And then from there. We go to these different boards. And then just to kind of connect back to defronting, we kind of move around the room so much and we kind of like jump from side to side to the front to the back so that those defronting things still kind of happen. And the kids will be like loosely clustered around me. Some will be sitting, some will be standing. And I know that that, that in some cases that does go against what the book says, which is has like have kids like I'm standing. But I just kind of say, I want you guys to be able to engage. And if you need to sit down right in front of me, but I can tell that you are still engaged, that's great. But I think the biggest piece is that when you're doing this, the, the most important part is that when you go there, you say, can someone not in this group tell me what this group was thinking? I think that's probably one of the most important things in terms of a, a gallery walk. Yeah, and it's really, it really contrasts what, gallery walks have looked like in the past where it's like okay like now we're looking at this group tell us what you did whereas we know all the students their eyes are glazed over they're zoned out they're just standing there they're listening kind of but really they're not thinking so what this does is it by asking students that exact question what was this group thinking and you know what if you're in this group you're not allowed to talk for the next few minutes talk to a partner turn and talk whatever term you want to use it really gets kids talking and i've seen this and it takes a long time to get going off the ground when you're initially starting this so you really got to be on top of your wait time game. That's what I'm Well, for sure. Yeah, you really want to be waiting them out because they know if they say nothing and you just start talking, they've won. They're going to get away with this not well, thinking behavior. So you really got to wait them out and get them thinking about this. And this really changes this from a passively listening task into something where they're actively thinking, which is what this is all about. So it's a nice shift away from what we traditionally see and it really engages kids in a different Absolutely. And one of the quotes that I used for my thesis recently was from Jo Bowler. She said that if students are not reasoning, they are not being mathematical. And my spin on that would be that I believe allowing students to reason through someone else's work really helps them to think deeply and to deeply understand their own work. And I've seen this a lot in my classrooms where I'll go to a board and there's silence, but my students aren't trying to wait me out. They are trying to figure out what's going on on the board. And they're like, huh, what is that? What do you think? And, but that's great because there might be mathematical phrases on there that they don't understand. Or like maybe some student did something that they don't quite get what it means, but allowing them to talk to a partner say turn to somebody beside you and talk about like the sport and sometimes I will say tell the partner or whoever is closest to you one thing that you 100% understand and like maybe one thing where you would like to know more and it is interesting because that is a great place for them to start like what is one thing that makes sense on this board I really like that as a starting point especially for students who aren't used to this yet because it gives them two actionable things that they can they can do right it's almost a low floor high ceiling side meta task that you're asking them to do it it's really good and i think 
those conversations are really interesting. When I first try this with classrooms that are new to this idea, often I'll just see hands shoot up, right? Like, no, no, I don't want to hear your ideas right now. I want you to tell them to somebody else. And then one of the things that I will sometimes ask is, what's something interesting somebody else told you, right? It's another little move you can add to your tool belt here. When it comes to consolidating, though, we, we know we're supposed to come from the bottom up, start with the simple things. How long should I take on the simple things? Because I really want to get to those high level things, don't I? Well, and here's the thing you do, but I, I do think, though, that like you need to spend a ton of time at the beginning because once kids have a really strong foundation, they can move on from there. Like when I like I was consolidating, this was months and months and months ago for place value. And we consolidated heavily on like the tenths and like the ones. And by the time we got to more complex stuff, it was so much easier for them. So what ends up happening is that if you spend most of the time at the bottom, the top goes actually pretty quick. Because at this point, kids are like, oh, got it. Even though maybe their group didn't get there, it makes so much sense because, and actually, I think you have a really good like analogy or like metaphor for it. Yeah, I use this all the time. It's this idea of if we're going to build our house and our house is our mathematical knowledge, we really need to tend to that foundation, make sure we've got a strong foundation to build upon. Because if our foundation's a little shaky or it's got some cracks in it, as we continue to build, at some point, something's going to kill. And we do see that a lot in our mathematical knowledge of our students. So this could be one of the ways that we really focus in on that. But I like what you said. If we spend that time, invest that time up front, the other parts go quicker. Because just like thin slicing that we talked about in Chapter 9, we're kind of thin slicing our consolidation. Um, and we can spend more time early on because the next little step is just a little step. And the next step is a little step. But doing this sort of consolidation takes some thought, right? I've tried winging it. I'm sure you've tried winging it just on the fly. It sometimes works, but it doesn't always. Rarely ever though. Oh gosh. No, no. And I will say straight up, this is the hardest practice. As someone who like who has done the legwork, this is it. This is tough. And it is tough for lots of reasons, but it's because you need to be on your game. You need to know that that's what you're planning to do. And part of that is the three S's, which is seeding, selecting, and sequencing. So do you want to talk about seeding? Yeah. So seeding, sequencing, selecting this is all about how you plan to do a consolidation. This consolidation is hard, hard enough as it is. So it's at least given us a template and some things to think about as you're doing it. You want something to come out of your consolidation. You have a goal in mind for whatever lesson or task you're giving your students. Seeding is the way that you get that idea out there if it's not emerging as you want. So you want to pull out a certain topic, a certain idea, a certain concept, method, whatever the case is. It's not happening. Go and give it to a group. Plant a seed there. Nurture it. Let it grow. You know, and if it doesn't take yeah. better, plant it. And that happens all the time. But it's a way that if something you want to talk about in your consolidation isn't in the room, go put it in the room. Oh, for sure. So for instance, when I was doing my, my patterns and relations like unit, my students were seeing the patterns, but I really wanted them to see a, a table. And so I would be like, how could we organize this data? And so then I would just draw a T-chart and then like walk away. And I love that because you look back and sometimes they're using it. And then you look back and you just see a purple like T by itself that hasn't been touched since you did that. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes the seeding grows and sometimes it's just a dead plant and that's okay. That's okay. And then... The next S, selecting, is all about like, what are you going to talk about in your consolidation? So the best way that he suggests you do this is kind of like what you said with your different colored marker going around the room, 
and just putting a box around a piece that you want to talk about later. You box it off. You tell the students, hey, don't erase this because I want to use this later. Yeah. And, you know, this can be tricky if you've got limited whiteboard space for your students to work on. But sometimes they're like, well, we need that space. Can we just rewrite it smaller over here? Sure. Fine. Whatever. The point is you want to talk about it. But I think this selecting piece is really important because it allows you, because your marker is different color around the room, to quickly see all the pieces you're going to go through when it comes time to consolidate. But how do you know what you're going to consolidate and when? Well, first of all, in terms of the selecting, you want to make sure that you select more than you need to, right? And the goal really like isn't necessarily to find stuff you love, but I just think it's to find different stuff. So it's nice to sequence with like numbers to kind of tell you what to do. But also, and my students will all tell you, sometimes you sequence wrong and there's like one A, one B, one Z. And so you just kind of have to wing it a little bit, but you do want to have an idea. Yeah, going around labeling the boxes you're going to use with a number is really good. But like you said, something sometimes something late emerges. So sometimes you have a 1B or a 1.5 or a zero, whatever the case is, it's it's your system. It's just a tool for you to keep in mind. And kids, they'll notice eventually that you're sequencing things. But I can tell you working on workshops with teachers who are watching my every move, they don't see me put those numbers down. So there's not really anything to worry about there. One thing he does mention to keep in mind is when you're doing your sequencing, especially if you've got duplicate around the room, the same idea emerging in different places. It's good to get your kids to bounce around the room. So go from one side to the other side, back to the other side, rather than kind of like a, this rotating carousel around the room. The more steps you get in, kind of the better. It kind of helps with that engagement piece. Um, recently, when we had Peter here doing workshops with teachers, he told us about a way that he had seen a teacher hack this consolidation. And I really like this idea. So I really want to share with everybody. What, what this teacher did is they planned their consolidation ahead of time. When you see Peter consolidate, you're going to think, wow, this is this magical thing that he's able to do in his mind. Um, and to some degree, I think it is. But the way that this teacher tackled it is they planned it out. So they had a cute card, they had a piece of paper, whatever they used. And they wrote down all the pieces that they wanted to pull out in their consolidation, ordered them. And then when that happened in the room, they went and boxed it in and labeled it number three, even though that came up before they saw what they're looking for, number one. And the nice piece about this is if you're not seeing something you want to talk about in consolidation, it gives you a map for what you can see. So it really, really does help. I've tried this before. Man, has it simplified my consolidation. It's like it's, it's a game changer, and it allows you to not worry too much about thinking on your toes and be able to have a plan that you can act upon while you're managing all the other moving pieces of a thinking class. Oh, yeah. But the one part that I love about consolidation and selecting is Sometimes a kid comes up with something that you didn't even like. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even consider that. You kind of like look at them and you're like, that's really cool. How did you come up with that? So it's really fun because you can plan too, like, which is great. But sometimes they're going to come up with something that you wouldn't have thought. Absolutely. Always have an open mind because that's one of the things we love about thinking classrooms is you see solutions you yourself would have never thought about in the, because of the ways that we learned our maths, right? Kind of more a rigid way of doing it. Um, the last thing we kind of want to mention about consolidation is that Peter has shared a new way of consolidating in our recent podcast episode. Is, or yep. If you haven't listened to it, it's episode five. He talks about how to consolidate when you have some thin slicing tasks, like we talked about in chapter nine. Uh, and he, we won't get too far into it, but he kind of talks about giving three examples, having students come up with a difficulty level for each and then solving them kind of together. Highly recommend just going to listen to that episode for that because it's, it's rife with rich ideas about thinking classrooms and new ideas that have emerged that aren't in the book. But before we wrap up, Megan, consolidation can be one of the toughest 
practices to really get good at. You mentioned that it's one that you find difficult. It's one that I find difficult. What are some of your tips, some of the tips that you've learned along the way that might help someone out there listening? Yeah. So I do now let some students sit down. However, I don't let them go back to their seats unless I am certain they will be engaged. And you do want kids to stand as much as possible. I finished the year off with 31 kids in a, like not a ton of room. So that's why sitting became a thing just because of like kids couldn't see the boards because of where we worked. So that was almost what happened there. However, um, you don't want them to move back to their desks because that'll just trigger that those non-thinking behaviors, right? Yeah, I think if they're going to sit, make sure they're not sitting back in their desk, in their row, however your classroom set up, because that's a safe place for them to disengage. You know, if they're going to lean on a desk or a table, whatever, that's not going to be a big deal breaker. Another thing I found really helpful, and Peter was the one that showed me this while he went modeling in one of our workshops, is when you're going to go to a board to discuss solutions or part of a problem while you're consolidating, just subtly erase the final answer. Take the emphasis off of that final answer and being right or wrong and really focus in on the process or the specific part of that solution. Because sometimes that can be a distractor for students. They're like, well, they didn't get it right. Why are we looking at this? And then they're worried about the wrong thing. So if you just quickly erase that, it doesn't become a thing. Um, do you have any other tips to share? I think this was in the book and it was also from the podcast we did with him. But this one is so subtle, but I think matters so much, which is you need to pull everyone to the middle before you start to consolidate because that releases the ownership of the students' boards. Because once you pull everybody in, now all of the boards belong to the class instead of the people, right? Versus like, if you're like, hey guys, like let's come by Timmy's, like right here quick. That's not good because now we are giving ownership to the board. But the other thing too, and I've, and I've said this so many times, but plan more than you think and wait longer than you should. I've never, I've never finished consolidation and my students can tell you every single class I go, oh, we didn't have enough time to go to board, whatever, every time. So always plan more than you think. Yeah. And I guess speak to that too. When I go into a classroom for the first time plan, you know, we're going to do this task. We're going to go through all these things, show these teachers, all these pieces, get the kids really excited about things. Oh shoot. It's five minutes until lunchtime. Okay. Let's quickly try to consolidate it. Never, we never get where we need to go. And if you're noticing kids are getting tired or burnt out from a task, you, you've waited too long. And this is this is kind of something you're going to have to play with and get a feel for, depending on your students, the time of day. I imagine it looks different first period versus last period of the day. Um, just something to be cognizant of and, and make sure you're giving time to consolidation because I think in the end, consolidation is such an important practice because this is where we get a little bit of that explicit instruction snuck in in a way that allows our students to walk away with some more knowledge and maybe find a way to, to keep going with their thinking. Um, with time in mind, we'd love to know how you've tinkered with the ideas around consolidation to fit your students' needs. If you're someone who likes to tweet, tweet at us. We're happy to respond. We've got some emails from some of you who've listened. We really appreciate those. We don't want this to be a one-way conversation. We'd love to hear from all of you. Next chapter, we're going to be talking about note-taking and how do we get students to make meaningful notes and I think there's going to be a lot to unpack there that actually builds a lot on what you do in a consolidation. So I'm really excited to go. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Yep. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Think, Thank, Thunk. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss a new episode. And as always, keep thinking, keep thinking, and keep thunking.